this morning as we joined in with the timeless worship going on in heaven. We also joined in the journey of two of Jesus' first disciples in uh, their walk to Emmaus, where they met the risen Lord. Christians have long used this passage for just about everything, you name it, community, missions, uh, discipleship. If it's part of the, the Christian life, this passage shows up at some point. That's just not a bad thing at all, but we need to make sure that we're not stopping on the road, and uh, we also need to make sure that we're not stopping when we get to Emmaus, but we're getting ahead of ourselves and we're getting ahead of our travelers, so let's start with the road. It's still Easter Sunday, and the disciples are less than encouraged by the report from the women who went to see the tomb. Dead people tend to stay dead. They know this. They saw Lazarus rise from the grave, but uh, there was a body there. They had something tangible. So without a body, with these strange reports of angels... Not much made sense anymore. Things are a little crazy. Things are a lot crazy, let's be honest. Only three days earlier, Jesus had told them everything that would happen. But they're in the middle of a crisis. And in the middle of crisis, our brains don't always work the same way as they do when we're sitting down nice and calm. Hopeless seems like an understatement. That's the situation in which these two disciples decide to leave town. Can't really blame them. The reason that they were sticking around was to see if Jesus was the real deal, and uh, apparently he wasn't. So they set out towards Emmaus. To fill the time it takes to walk there, they decide to talk, naturally. Maybe they talked about politics. Can you believe the emperor? Uh, the weather... Yep, still sunny. Um, eventually, probably pretty quickly, they got to the heart of the matter, what was on their minds, the disappointment, the anger, the grief that they were feeling. Their friend, their teacher, their savior was dead. And with the timing that only God can have, a stranger walks up behind him. We know it's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. Apparently, Jesus didn't want them to know just yet. And to kind of break that awkward tension of meeting, a new, meeting new people, Jesus asks, what are you guys talking about? Seems like a simple question, but turns out pretty inflammatory and uh, a pretty quick way to gauge how these disciples are processing everything. I'd say in their uh, their. Grieving stages, they're somewhere between anger and depression. And this comes out as uh, lashing out at Jesus and saying, are you the only person who doesn't know the things that are going on? Really? And Jesus responds, what things? Again, probably not what they were hoping to hear. I believe it's at this point the disciples are regretting their decision to welcome this traveler along to their party. He's gone from a new discussion partner to an ignorant fool in no time flat. An unfortunate skill that we too often see today. This is going to be a very long walk. 
I'm sure the disciples were also thinking that they wished they were just at Emmaus. Walking and getting there is now the worst part. We do this all the time, I think. I know I do. When things don't go exactly how we plan them, suddenly all of our past work is now useless. If only I had known before what I know now, things would be different. By different, we normally mean things would be better, right? But it seems like a conclusion we're kind of jumping to there of things being better. So, what does Jesus do in response? Well, he calls them foolish, but then he begins to teach them about how everything they know, all of scripture, all of the prophecies, point towards the Jesus they worshipped and adored. Now, the journey is starting to pay off. Things switched right there. They had to take a step back, at least mentally, to get seven miles physically forward. And this is the part of the story we normally hear. This is the part we like. We want to live in this part, right? Who wouldn't want to walk alongside a road with Jesus, talk with him, ask him all of your questions that you might have? I have a lot. But that's not how it works, unfortunately. You know, we are able to talk with Jesus, to walk with him. But like the disciples, we don't always realize that that's what we're doing and how it's working. It's not our fault, at least not always our fault. Sometimes it definitely is. We need to be aware of those journeys that we're on and where Jesus is coming up behind us, joining us, walking with us, teaching us. Even if we don't find out until later, we still need to be paying attention, listening. It's stories like this that cause us to idealize the journey, the process, how many motivational posters and sayings on the internet or, I don't know, hallways that you've seen look something like this. Uh, oh, are we going to do this again? There we go. It's not the destination. It's about the journey. Or success is a journey, not a destination. You know, you really, if you want to find more of these, they are litter, littering the internet. Um, maybe even your own personal news feed. Yeah, you can find these. We want to say that the journey is just the perfect place to learn. I agree. We need to make sure we value the, the process, the, the getting there. But I'm not so convinced that we need to make it more important than the destination. So... Let's talk about the destination, Emmaus. We don't actually know that much about Emmaus. We know it's about seven miles from Jerusalem, and its name references the hot springs or mineral springs that it had. So, sounds like a relaxing destination, especially if it has hot springs. So, maybe the disciples are going there to get away. After the trauma they've been through, a nice hot soak might be just what they need. Emmaus is the end point for our travelers. The journey that they just finished prepared them for the very moment they're about to have. We must not forget that without a destination, a journey is 
aimless wandering. And even aimless wandering ends at some point. It will have a destination. So the journey and the path you take are intrinsically linked. You can't separate them out neatly. One without the other doesn't make sense. So at Emmaus, the disciples offer hospitality to their new companion, and he accepts. After teaching for several miles, I imagine a chair, uh, some warm food, and a bed to sleep in is probably, sounds like the ideal end to this day. So, it's time to eat, an important part. Jesus takes the bread. Sounds familiar. He gives thanks. Still sounding familiar. He breaks the bread. This is, I don't know. I feel like this is... I've heard this before somewhere. Um, and he gives it to them. Sounds a lot like the Lord's Supper. In that instance, their eyes were opened. Now, they didn't open their eyes. God did. And that's part of faithfulness. Enduring through the mystery through the journeying, through the aimless wandering, until God opens our eyes and things start to make a little more sense. It moves us forward. We gain understanding. And that's the important part. The journey becomes worth it in that moment. When all the pieces start to come together and the disciples... I'm sure the questions just flood into their mind. Oh, we could ask Jesus anything we want. You know, all the, the opportunity we had on the road, now is our chance. And with the timing that only God can have, Jesus is gone. Just like that. We're back to the burden of hindsight. If only we knew now what we knew, or only we knew then what we know now. We could have asked so much more. We could have learned so much more. But they didn't know that it was Jesus until they got to Emmaus, so they couldn't have known before. It's this weird circular logic that we wish we knew everything. The journey and their destination are married in this sense. You can't, you still can't separate them. They both lose their meaning without the other. In this moment, the disciples mention something I think quite incredible. As they quickly reflect on their time with Jesus on the road, they realize that their hearts felt different. This made me think of John Wesley as a good Methodist, the inadvertent founder of Methodism, who had a similar description when he met with the Lord. Uh, He was at a point of near despair, and he was listening to someone read from Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. I'm sure it was a real nail-biter. But God met him there, and this is how he recounts it. While he, the preacher, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. This is what happens when God meets us. 
we're changed. We're not the same. Wesley had been through a lot up to this point. His spiritual journey already had quite a bit. But this was the destination that he was heading towards. He didn't even know he was heading towards it, but it was still the destination that changed everything. Now, this would be a great and wonderful story and encouragement for us to be attentive to the journey and how our destination informs that. Always trying to think of where God is meeting us and how that impacts where we are. But this isn't the end of the story. Today we read verses 13 through 32. But the passage continues through verse 35. So let's finish it. That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. The journey and the destination are great and all, but they only really matter if it actually changes us, if it causes us to do something with what we've just experienced. For the disciples, their their plans have now drastically changed, quite literally a 180. They're going right back where they were, Jerusalem. Now, When I read this, it's not difficult to jump to the conclusion that maybe they should have never left Jerusalem if that's where they're going back to. They have just wasted an entire day of travel twice. But I think there's more going on. They met with the Lord on their walk to Emmaus. They gained teachings. Surely that's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a waste of time. I hope it's not a waste of time. After the journey was over... It was time to look towards their next journey. Where is God taking them now? It's not backtracking or regretting. It's realizing that their journey to Emmaus changed their life. It has informed directly their next steps. Staying in Jerusalem means not experiencing the walk to Emmaus. And staying in Emmaus means nothing has changed. They just went about their life. When they meet up with the other disciples, and it's got to be getting late by now, but it's still Easter, the atmosphere is completely different. This passage looks totally different than how it did when they left. Now, they go back to Jerusalem for two main reasons. One, Others have hope again. They're not going back to the same Jerusalem. It was hopeless in the beginning of Easter, but now the reality of the risen Lord is starting to set in. And they also, these disciples, have a message of hope to offer to others and to the world. So, The environment has changed. Their hearts have changed. So they're not going back to the same Jerusalem. They are going on a new journey. God has been working on their hearts, and God has apparently been working on other people's hearts too. Go figure. 
they report that on the experience that they had on the road. But they also talk about experience they had at Emmaus. They're talking about the journey and the destination. They both directly impacted where they have gone and what they're doing. Again, it made me think of John Wesley, the rest of the story. He, after his heart was strangely warmed, his life was never the same. He traveled all over, spreading the word of God, importance of grace, encouraging others to know the Lord. He started something he never could have imagined, an international revival. Now, not all of us are John Wesley, but we're all on journeys right now. Some have been going on for decades. Others may have started this morning. Some are long and arduous. Others are brief and seemingly inconsequential. The possibility of what our paths might look like is limitless. And our destinations can be anywhere. What is the same, what we share, so we're not doing it alone. Even if we think we're doing it alone, even if it feels like we're doing it alone, God's there, walking up behind us. Sometimes we don't realize it. God will meet us on our journeys. It's not always clear when and how, what he's doing, but God will meet us. We will be changed from that. And we'll go from there to another journey. It keeps going. So I ask you, where are you going right now? How are you getting there? How is the Lord meeting you on that journey? And when you get to that destination, be on the lookout for where you're headed next. As we encounter the living God, our life changes. It doesn't mean that things look drastically different instantly, but we get new destinations. We get new journeys. As we follow the call of God, we grow closer to God. And that process is more rewarding each and every time. Let us pray.